This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm going to start reading from verse 33. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be one of of them since he has touted the armies of the living God. Sorry, taunted. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. I got a message for you this morning that I've titled, Never Trade Your Faith for Armor. Never Trade Your Faith for Armor. Saul had two problems, and they were interrelated. He had a big problem called Goliath. Goliath was out there, and Goliath was something that was formidable. The problem that he had in the second degree was the fact that he had no one who wanted to fight Goliath. So he had a problem which was magnified by the fact that he didn't have a solution. And the giant was out there taunting him with regularity. Until David arrived on the scene. And when David arrived, he said, well, I'm not taking this. You know, I'm not going to put up with this. I'll deal with him. And so Saul got wind of that somebody was happy to fight Goliath. I think he was happy with anybody who was prepared to take on Goliath at this point. So he said, bring this guy to me. Let me see who this young man is. And so they bring in David. And in the moments that unfold from here, we have the opportunity to view an interaction between Saul and David. And in that interaction, there is more that takes place than we possibly realize. Because in that interaction, it's really a conflict between two realities. It's a conflict between two dispositions and two different attitudes as to how they view their world and how they view their life, how they view their circumstances and how they see themselves moving forward in that. All of us, with regularity, are going to encounter a David and a Saul moment. All of us, with regularity, will encounter a David and a Saul moment. I built you for the world, but I designed you to live from him. 
I built you for the world, but I designed you to live from him. And it puts us into this weird anomaly that we're trying to address with regularity, the fact that I'm in something that's natural and I'm trying to pull to myself everything that I need in order to make sure that my life on earth is as successful as it needs to be. And he has equipped me and he's given me what I need to be successful in this world. He's given me gifting. He's given me ability. He's given me talents. He's given me the ability to relate to people. He's given me faculties. He's given me the, the, the ability to be able to embrace education. Why? Because I'm gray, growing all the time and I'm pulling to myself everything that I need to be able to walk into an effective running in the world that I live in. He's given me and built me to be part of the world, but I'm supposed to live from him. And so everything that defines my being, everything that, that gives me definition as to who I am comes from that place. It's important because as I move through life, I'm living this balance with regularity. It's important that I invest in what I need to do to handle my life on this earth. You cannot throw it all overboard and sit and say, who cares about that stuff? I'm going to live in my closet in Shamatata all day. It doesn't work. God said, I've given you some stuff. You need to do something with what I've given you. I've put you in the world for a reason. I've put you in the world for a purpose. You're called to have influence in that world. Everything that he's built you for is the glove. But he says the glove without the hand is never as effective. We need to have the hand because the hand is the spirit of God. And when you have the spirit of God that comes across your nat- into your natural ability and talents, all of a sudden you're capable of doing things that you was never capable of doing before. I've got to have both. I'm walking in both. The challenge that we have as natural people is because I'm living in something that is a tangible realm. It's so easy for me to live an unbalanced reality because I want to focus on my education and I want to hone my talents and I want to become productive and I want to work really hard and I want to do all of those things that are building my natural capabilities, but I'm not necessarily building my spiritual relationship with him. And so I live a compromised existence. God has introduced us to something called repentance. And we, spoke, we started speaking about repentance last week. And we have a strange concept because, because of religious teaching, we have this idea that repentance has everything to do with if I do something wrong. If I sin, if I steal, if I tell a lie, I run and I repent. But if we begin to understand what repentance is all about, and we we realize that repentance speaks about changing my mind, what it really means is that repentance should be something that we engage in every single day. I should not be the person I am today compared to who I was six months ago. I should be a different person. Why? Because of repentance. Repentance comes to the place where I recognize something about the goodness of God. And I sit and say, wow, he loves me so much that he's provided for me to step into a different reality, a different realm, a different perspective of the world that I live in. And as I step into a perspective and a realm of thinking that's defined by his goodness, what I'm saying is I'm letting go of my old thinking and I'm moving my thinking towards who he is. I'm moving my thinking towards grace. I'm moving my thinking towards Christ who's paid the price for everything that I need. And what ends up happening is I'm taking parts of my life and I'm bringing them to a place of righteousness. 
The moment you were born again, you were made as righteous as can be. But there are parts of my life that are not righteous. There are things that I do that don't represent the righteousness of God on the inside of me. And when I get to certain places, I encounter things and God starts to say, I want you to step into a new realm of encounter in that place. Let me change your thinking. What is he doing? He's introducing us to repentance. What he's saying is, I want you to walk in the fullness of everything I've provided for you. And you can never do that as long as you're living in that place. With regularity, every time I encounter a circumstance in a situation, when I encounter uh, friction that results in a relationship, when I have a challenge at work, what God is sitting saying is, I'm introducing you to a David and a Saul moment. What do you want to do in this moment? Do you want to lean to your natural abilities, to what you're capable of doing, or are you going to recognize that the greater one lives on the inside of you? Because if I, which way, whichever way I tilt my scales is going to determine the way that I think, and the way that I think is going to determine the way that I live. He invites us into a David and a Saul moment. Saul looks at him as David walks in, and he says to him, He's a boy. not trained you're not a warrior you don't have experience you don't even have armor I have an army of trained people out there who spend their lives on the battlefield I have a whole army of experience sitting out there face to face with a giant and not one of them wants to take him on. And you think you're going to be able to do it? Saul's biggest reservation and the thing that made him feel so uncomfortable was the fact that he looked at David and he said, I don't think you're capable. I don't think you have what it takes to be victorious. That's the truth of it. In your David and Saul moment, the disposition that you take is going to define the way that you see your problem, yourself, and your solution. If you step into a Saul moment, you're going to have a look at who I am. You're going to have a look at what I'm capable of. You're going to have a look at where my history is. You're going to have a look at what surrounds me. You're going to have a look at my problem, and you're going to end up with something called a deficit. Anytime you go with Saul's disposition, you will come up with a deficit. Why? Because the problem is always bigger. I am never enough. And the match between them always leaves something called a deficit. And I'm looking at the stand. I'm sitting saying, I don't know whether I could do this. I don't know whether I'm capable of stepping into this. That's why we have something called grace. Because you know what grace says? Grace says, I know you have a deficit, but let me make it up. I know you're not capable in your own strength, but let me make it up. I know you're not capable of changing the circumstance and the situation, but let me make it up. The whole point of grace is to sit and say, you have options available to you that never existed before. You see, without grace, all you could do is have a soul disposition. Let me see what I have. Let me see what I don't have. Lend me your armor. That's good. 
Give me something that I can use to equip myself to fight the good fight. The problem with it is, is that you're limited because you don't have options. Grace comes in and grace swoops in. And what it says is, I'm introducing new options for you. You don't have to be limited to who you are and what you're about anymore. Because I want to introduce you to something called the greater one. It's all about understanding that the Christ The anointed one has made provision for you to step into realities and experiences in life that were never possible without him because he's the deficit maker, maker upper. He's the one who makes up all of those little holes, all of those places where I sit and say, I can't bridge the chasm between where I am and where I need to go. It's grace that does it. David comes face to face with Saul. He comes face to face with reality. He comes face to face with his pragmatism. He comes face to face with his carnality. And he says, let me tell you about something that you've given no consideration to. I have something that you've never referenced. It's called a testimony. I have a testimony. You want to talk about your armor? Let me tell you about my God. And what he begins to do is he begins to tell him about his testimony. I don't care about the giant. Forget about what the future holds. Let me go back to the beginnings. The beginning started when I met a lion. Let me tell you what happened with the lion. And I went and I took care of the lion. And when I had rescued the lamb from the lion, I took the lamb back and read what it says. And then I went back for the lion. And I grabbed the lion and I took hold of the lion. Now, if you've never met a lion... That's not a normal thing to do. Nobody in their right mind does stuff like that. But God. There are things that I can do with God. There are things that I can do with grace. There are things that I can do because of the leading of the Spirit that I'm not capable of doing if I have armor. But the line's not the whole story. I'm just getting you going. There was a bear. And you know what happened with the lion? The same thing happened with the bear. What is he saying to Saul? He's sitting saying to him, should I tell you, there is nothing more powerful than a testimony. Because a testimony speaks to and attests to the fact that I serve a living God. Not someone who is dead, not someone that I worship but is far away from me, but somebody who's intimately involved in every aspect of my life. Let me tell you about a God who's redefined the very foundation of my being. And so when I see circumstances and situations, when I see challenges that are outside of his design. There is something on the inside of me that inspires me that sits and says, you know what? You can do this. And I get up and I start making some moves because the greater one on the inside of me is changing the way that I see things. It's changing who I am. It's changing what I'm all about. There are times in every person's life when Goliath is going to be at the door. And when Goliath comes to the door and Goliath starts taunting, you better make sure that you have your faith and not your armor. Your faith will help you deal with Goliath. Your armor won't. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God. What is it saying? Anytime I look to my natural abilities, anytime I have a look at what I have and what's in my arsenal and what I'm capable of doing to deal with the situation pales in comparison to what he can do through me. It changes everything. It's not about positive thinking. Positive thinking. You know what the problem is with positive thinking? 
It's hollow. It's hollow. What I mean by that is this. When you have positive speak, what ends up happening is you have a look at a situation and you try and see the bright side of it. But there's no credibility to it. When you look at God speak, it changes everything. Because when God speak, what God says is, I will honor my word. I will make sure this happens. When I take the word of God, what ends up happening is I end up in a situation where the very power of God is resident in that space. When I take the word of God and I begin to have a look at situations and circumstances, the word of God comes as a, something which reveals to me the goodness and the love of God. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What was he saying? The reason that you're blessed is because you got something that came to you not from a natural source, but from a spiritual source. And if you build your life on that spiritual source, it'll put you in a place where you'll step into blessing. If you want to step into blessing in your life, we've got to be at a place where we live from revelation. What is revelation? God is taking an aspect of who he is and he's sitting saying, you know what? I understand the circumstance and the situation that you find yourself in. And what I want to do is I want to reveal to you how I see that. Let me show you who I am in the situation. What is he doing? He's taking thinking that either doesn't see God in the situation or sees God in the situation in a distorted capacity. He says, I'm affecting something called your beliefs. What you believe. I'm taking you to a place where I'm affecting those things because when you pull your beliefs into a place of believing, what you end up doing is you take your life to a place where it's defined by the word of God. And when your life is defined by the word and your thinking is defined by your word and the believing is defined by the word, then the foundation will be defined by the word. And when the foundation is defined by the word, what happens is I become a person of power. Power is resident in the way that God thinks. I've got to find out how God's thinking. I've got to live a life of repentance with regularity. Every time I see something and it's like, wow, what would God think about this? I have an opportunity to take an aspect of my life and make it inclusive and bring it into the realm of righteousness. So it becomes reflective of his character, of his nature and of his power. Keep our lives at a place where we're grounded in right thinking, on a right thinking foundation. Because when your life is established on a right thinking foundation, it'll be able to withstand a world that is in contrast and in conflict with it. It becomes important. Why is the foundation of our life so important? Because the thing is that you're going to step into a world of conflict. You're going to step into a world that is in total contradiction to the reality that's established on the inside of you. And unless it's solid and unless it's established and unless I can hold on to that and it informs who I am and how I feel and what I think and how I see, I become a person who is moved by my circumstance and situations and I can't receive anything from God. What he's saying is it doesn't matter about the environment. It doesn't matter about the people. Keep your eyes on the foundation. You live by faith. 
not by sight. We look at things too often as opposed to be vision oriented. He calls us to vision. Heather was talking a little bit earlier about Jairus. Mark chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus is talking to him. And he's come to Jesus and he called Jesus and he's come and pray for my daughter and she's died and they've arrived at the home. And he turns to him and he says, Fear not, only believe. Fear not, only believe. What was he saying? He was saying, the way that you think in this situation, Jairus, is going to determine everything. The problem with people is, people see your armor, but they can't see your belief. The problem with people is they have a look at your equipping and your enabling and what they can see, and they, div- and they respond and react to that. You don't have what it takes to heal your daughter. You don't have what it takes to raise her from the dead. Why did they think that? Because they were praising him from his armor perspective. You're just a man. What was it that changed Jairus? Because he saw Jesus, and when he saw Jesus, what he saw was Potential. You can do something that I can't do. And Jesus says, stay connected with me. Keep that thought. Keep that thought. And he goes back into the environment and what happens? Everybody around him says, Jairus, you can't do this because your daughter's dead. You should be mourning. You should be sad. And Jesus says, don't listen. Watch your eyes. Watch your ears. Stay focused on belief. Why? Because if you keep seeing things the way that I see them, you'll find his presence is in the believing. His presence is where his word is. And where his presence is, the anointing is. When you step outside of that, we step outside of where he is. And he's no longer where I am. And when he's not here, the anointing's not here. And when the anointing's not here, nothing happens. Stay in faith. Only believe. Believe. Matthew chapter 13 speaks about Jesus went back to his hometown and it says he could do no mighty works. Why? Because of their unbelief. You believed wrong. You were thinking all wrong. You couldn't change the thinking that you had towards me. This is Jesus talking. So that it reflected my truth. So what ended up happening is you and I were in conflict. I couldn't work in your situation because you were grounded and rooted and established in a reality that was outside of who I am. It wasn't defined by righteous, right thinking, righteousness. And if I, you don't find him outside of righteousness. When I change my thinking to right thinking, I move myself in a place and in a position where I'm sitting living in the expectation. Okay, Father, what could happen here? Because I'm grounded and I'm rooted in belief. Oh, I'll have to, I'm going to carry on with this next week, but let me, let me, I want to give you one more point. David tries on Saul's armor and he takes it off. He says, because I never tested it. When you begin your journey with God, God is going to take you from glory to glory. When you begin your journey with God, he's going to take you from strength to strength. When you begin your journey with God, he's going to move you from one dimension to the next dimension. 
Do you know what ends up happening? When God moves you to a place of progress and maturity, you never want to go back to where you were. What David was saying to Saul was this. I don't need this stuff because I've outgrown it. I don't need this stuff because I'm not in that place anymore. My life has matured. My life has moved beyond that. I'm in a dimension with God of intimacy with him where he's touching and he's an affecting change in my life. And I see him working in my circumstances and situations all the time. I don't need to go back to my abilities and what I can do and how I feel and what I think and everything about me. I've moved beyond that. It's like wine. When people want to get into wine, usually what ends up happening is they want sweet wine. Because sweet wine is, okay, I can do this. And so they start to sip on sweet wine. And what happens after a period of time is somebody begins to introduce them into something new and says, try this wine. And what ends up happening is they taste that wine, but because they were at one place and now they've moved to another place, they suddenly recognize the fact that it has a different bouquet. And suddenly it has more complexity to it. It's not just one little sweet flavor. It's like, wow, I can actually taste these different flavors in it. This is so interesting. It's such a progressed flavor profile. I like the complexity of it. I like the way that it smells. I like the way that it tastes. It's so good. And then you go back home and you open up the fridge and you put your bottle of wine in once again and you taste it and you go, I can't go back to sweetness. Wine is a journey. Wine is a journey. When you start on your journey, you start with sweetness, but you keep progressing and you keep moving. And what ends up is your palate becomes more and more refined. And as your palate becomes more refined, you're able to taste the nuances of different wines. But the challenge with the journey of wine is that you can only go in one direction. Because once it progresses, you can't go back to where you were. It tastes awful. You see, God starts to do stuff in our life. And when God starts to do some stuff in your life, he introduces you to some new stuff. And your palate increases. And your complexity increases. And your appreciation for his goodness and his love increases. And it moves to a place where I don't want to go back to where it was. Because I've been there. I've done that. My my life and the progress of where I am is further along. Why do we preach? We preach because we fundamentally believe that our destiny is to be conformed to his image. And so because of that, you can be a person who is articulate. You can be a person who is studied. You can be a person who has degrees and doctorates. You can be a person who has great existential thinking when it comes to spiritual insights. It's a starting point. The challenge with it is, is that we end up giving people information. It's okay, because we're well intended. But as we move along the journey with life, the intention is that the Holy Spirit comes in. And when the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to do certain things, what ends up happening is you recognize, you know, information is not as important as revelation. You see, I can give you information, but only he can give you revelation. 
So we begin to move and we begin to adjust and we begin to make adaptations. And I don't want to go back to where I was. I don't want to go back to giving you information. I don't want to give you scripture references of A, B, and C. I want to give you something which is going to touch and transform your life. I want to give you something that's going to eat at the inside of you and get rid of a whole bunch of stuff and start to establish a new foundation in your life. And that's only things that he can do. And so my life starts to move and my life starts to adjust and I let go of some old things because I don't want to go back to where I was because I'm moving forward because the Spirit is doing some stuff. We can sing great songs and we can have fabulous musicians and we can have smoke and we can have lights and we can have orchestra and we can have music like you've never heard and it's a good starting place. It's okay to be there. problem with it is if you only live with songs and you never work, move into praise and worship you never have the presence you see if you don't have the presence you don't have the anointing and if you don't have the anointing you don't have anything for change what happens I love the theatrics and I love the party and I love the harmony and I love the orchestration and everything was fabulous and I was informed but I was never transformed I was entertained but I was never changed there's some things we've got to leave behind. And it's not easy because I'm so skilled at being a pianist, at being a preacher, at being a teacher, at being a psalmist. I've developed my gifting. I've developed my abilities. And God says, I blessed you with those things. I appreciate that stuff. But it's time to move. You build on that. And we move to a new paradigm. And it's difficult because so much of who I am and so much of my confidence is established in what I can do as opposed to being dependent on his influence. Change is not always easy. But change is good. We will never move to God's ultimate design for, for our lives unless we prepare to get comfortable with the idea of change. He moves us from glory to glory. And part of that journey means growth and expansion and newness and opportunity. Part of that journey means letting some stuff lie behind because I don't need the armor anymore. Let me tell you about my slingshot. We'll finish that next week. Father, we just want to thank you that you're just an incredible God. I want to thank you for your might and your power and your influence. I want to thank you that you're a God who never leaves us where we were, but is always moving us forward, is always transforming our life. I want to thank you for refining our palate and introducing us to newness and complexity and interest. I thank thank you for the nuances of who you are. And I want to thank you, Father, that every single person here, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you touch their life and you influence their heart in a way that never leaves them the same. We thank you for tomorrow. We thank you for this week. We thank you for the potential and the opportunity that it brings. And I want to thank you, Father, that we walk into your divine purpose and plan for our lives. I thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.